You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody, as we continue on in a series now from home, unfortunately, in Genesis. But this morning we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 8 as it's being read for us. It'll be really helpful if you have your Bible out in front of you. But earlier this week was, of course, the American Thanksgiving. And it's also famed, it's not just for the turkey on the American Thanksgiving Day, but also for Black Friday, that day where shoppers seem to go crazy normally. And those great day of great deals, or so we think. But Thanksgiving was celebrated almost 400 years ago. And was celebrated by the pilgrims along with the Native Americans after a year of harvest. But on, in November 1620, so 400 years ago, there were people who boarded a, a ship and landed in Plymouth, uh, Cape Cod, in Massachusetts, in America. And these people, they had set off uh, initially uh, from England. And these people, they were leaving England and they had left England and had moved to Holland in Amsterdam. And then they had tried to make their way across to this new world. And in the September of 1620, about 100 people boarded this ship called the Mayflower in England. And they were leaving England to look for this new world. And many on that ship were Christian people. Because they wanted to worship freely in England, but that wasn't allowed at the time. Because the Reformation still wasn't allowed in the early 1620s in England. And they fled initially to the Netherlands so they, they could worship freely there as a community. But then they moved further afield to escape the old religion of Europe and to follow their reformed faith. And they set sail and landed, as I've said, in November 1620 in America. And you can still see a stone that they, they carved in the year. And as they stepped off this ship, the Mayflower, into this new world, a world of religious freedom for them, a world essentially to themselves and some friendly neighbours. One of the English Puritans that wrote and boarded the ship wrote this about leaving England and Europe behind. He described the world they were leaving behind as this. That was full of cruelty and blood in our streets. The land abounds with murders, slaughters, incest, adulterers, drunkenness, oppression. And then he goes on to say that it's just like Babylon. And then on landing in this new world, they signed what's called the Mayflower Compact, which included this line. Why they are moving there for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. These pilgrims were stepping out into the new world, getting away from all the evil and to advance the Christian faith. And you could say in Genesis 8 that well, Noah was stepping into a new world, wasn't he? He was literally stepping into a new world. They too, Noah and his family, were they leaving behind adulterers and drunkards and incest and oppression, murderers. 
They were leaving all the evil behind and stepping into a new, fresh world to advance God's cause, God's people, weren't they? Noah was the only one in the whole world and his family that were righteous. And now there's this whole new world with just Noah and his family in it. The flood was just like a a total decreation. And Noah steps out into this new world. But as we will soon discover, as we continue to read in Genesis, as the pilgrims who got off the Mayflower would discover, as they would venture into this new world, we learn that man's heart is still inclined to sin. Man's heart is sinful. We have had the utter destruction set up already for us in chapter 7, where there's... There seems to be no hope, but there's this hope of the ark, even though the waters get higher and higher and higher. This great destruction that comes upon the world as the waters triumph over the world and over every living thing. As people have sat on their rooftops waiting for the water to stop or as they run to find higher ground, as they gasp and fight for their life, all in vain. There's great destruction in Genesis 7. And with that tremendous picture of God's judgment, how do we start this chapter? How do we start chapter 8? What does the Bible say? Look at it. But God. But God. And we saw that little two-word phrase in our series in Ephesians 2, didn't we? And we have this multiple times in Scripture where there is such a bleak, bleak picture painted of this world. Of sin. Of what us humans deserve in this life. It looks like there's nothing that can be done. Until we read the words in scripture. But God. The first thing I want us to remember today. Is this. Verse 1. But God remembered Noah. God remembers his people. God remembered and we must make it very clear that it's not maybe what we would think. It's not as if God forgot. You know, you've been asked to do something at work or at home and you forget. But then you remember to do it. Or even in terms of Remembrance Sunday, we talk about remembering. But this isn't like God is forgetting. But it's God calling to mind. You know, after all the destruction that's gone on, it's to call to mind those who are not destroyed. Like you can call to mind an event that happened in your life. It's not as if you've forgotten about it, but you're able to call it to your mind. Maybe that's a helpful way of thinking about what God is doing here. Rather than thinking that God forgot, but he called it to mind that he's about to act on it. God remembered Noah. Remembering. It means that God is about to act with his covenant grace. It's incredibly reassuring for us as readers. That God's not just going to let Noah and his family rot in the boat. In this giant floating coffin. But God is about to act. And he's about to act according to his word. In a way that is really evident For his people. The Lord remembers. 
He's about to do work that we're all to see. And it is when God remembers Noah that then we read in verse 1 that the floods begin to, to recede. God's remembering of his people indicates that the flood is coming to an end. God is going to preserve his people just as he promised he would away back in Genesis 6 and verses 17 and 18. God always remembers his word. Whenever we are in the depths of great difficulty or despair, we may give up hope that the Lord has remembered us. That the Lord has maybe forgotten his word or his promises somehow. But we keep going. We hold fast to God's promises because he never forgets his word. God never forgets his word and he never forgets his people. God always remembers his people. And now in the story of Noah, God is going to extend his mercy. But God, what a contrast to Genesis 7. But God now is going to deliver Noah. Now the flood waters begin to recede and go down. And again, we're told it's all of God's hand. And in verse 2, God sends a wind. This isn't just nature taking its course, but it's God directing nature. It's all of God's hand. You know, I wonder how Noah felt and his family all those days in the ark. Was Noah aware that the Lord remembered him? Maybe he thought too that the, the Lord had forgotten him. And there might be times in our lives where we feel although the Lord has forgotten us. But he has not. God never forgets about his people. God is interested in every detail of your life. God is interested in all of our circumstances. Whenever we are afraid, ashamed, lonely or discouraged, remember that God remembers his people. God is caring for us. He knows all the details God remembers. You know when someone says to you, or texts you, I'm remembering you in prayer whenever you're going through a difficult time. And that's really helpful for us and it encourages us. But oh, how much more encouraging it is, God remembers his people. God remembers his people. And this is at the very centre of Noah's, of the story of Noah that we're looking at. Genesis chapter 8 verse 1 is the very, very centre. But God remembers Noah. It is literally in the very centre. I have a picture and it's hard to see. But if you look at Genesis chapter 8 verse 1. We have God remembered Noah. The verse before that, please follow along. It talks about the earth being underwater for 150 days. And then in verse 3 of chapter 8, it talks about 150 days. These chapters 6, 7 and 8 are like a mirror image of each other. You know, the waters just before chapter 8 are getting higher and higher and higher. And then in the chapter 8, the waters are getting lower and lower and lower. 
Noah and his family enter the ark. Then they will exit the ark. And all of it builds up all the different things that are said. The seven days, the 40 days. There's so many things that are repeated in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And it all leads to one center point. But God remembers Noah. It's amazing. The very center of this story is chapter 8 verse 1. God remembers Noah. God remembers his people. That is the heart of everything our God does. He is the center of every story and our story. Everyone else in the whole world has perished. But God remembers his people. He remembers Noah. In all of this world. In all situations. The most important thing for each of us. Is the but God. There's nothing more important for us to understand. Than where we stand before God. Are we trusting in Jesus? And God remembers his people. What an encouragement that is for us. But if we don't trust in Jesus, there is no saving work that God will do for us. When all the world forgets about God, God does not forget his children. God remembers his people. Secondly, we see the response of God's people, what our response should be. Whenever we feel as though God is not there or there's something going on, we don't feel like God is answering us. What is our response to be in our faith? Well, we are to be patient. Our response is to have patience. And I think we see in these verses 2 to 19, Noah's patience incredibly here. Because, well, let, let's whip through these verses very quickly. Follow along with me in Genesis 8. In verse 2, all the water stops. In verse 3, the water goes down. In verse 4, the ark lands or the ark rests. And it's just really, really cool. Noah's name means to rest, doesn't it? So, you know, the ark is Noah. The ark comes to Know it, it, it comes to rest. But then the waters in verse 5 continue to, to go down. You're able to see the mountain tops. Then Noah sends out a raven and then a dove. The dove returns because there's nowhere to land. Then he waits again seven days and the dove is sent out and it comes back with an olive leaf in verse 11. And then again seven more days or he waits, the dove is sent out and it doesn't return. And in verses 13 and 14, the first day of the first month, the earth was dry. Now, I'm really not sure about you, but as we're going through that, I can think at every moment, if I'd been in that amount of time in a boat a whole year, I'd be looking out as soon as possible. Now, I'm thinking as soon as the boat comes to rest and I can feel it no longer moving on the waves and I'm no longer seasick, I would be getting out there. To get my feet onto some solid ground. Whenever I could see the mountain tops, I'd be out there getting fresh air, getting a, a stretch of my legs. 
Whenever the dove returns with an olive leaf, I'd be getting out of the ark, going to see what the earth looked like now. But no, what does Noah do? He doesn't get out. He is patient. God gave him the instruction to build the ark. God gave him the direction to enter the ark. And Noah is going to wait patiently on the Lord for the instruction to leave. The flood lasts for about a year. I don't tell the executive, but there are four families in this bubble, aren't there? But they're in this ark for a whole year. And it's not until verse 14, when the earth is completely dry, that then the Lord gives Noah the instruction in verses 15 and uh, to 17. In verse 16, God says, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. And he's told in verse 17 to, to bring out every kind of of living creatures empty the ark Noah now is the time and then the animals will exit the ark how great is Noah's patience here with God's word a whole year and finally the flood is over there's clearly new life and dry ground but Noah does not step a foot out of the ark onto the earth he doesn't take a step without the Lord commanding it. He truly was obedient to God, but he was also incredibly patient. Do you know if you watch at different times during the year, Country File or Spring Watch or a program like that, and you see some amazing pictures that a photographer has taken, and you get a glimpse of the beauty and majesty of creation, like maybe this picture here or a, another one. And we get to enjoy this. And maybe some video footage that we get to enjoy instantly. And we are amazed by it. But we have to think of the photographer or the, the film crew or setting up the cameras. Because don't those people spend so much time and researching the best place to get that image or that footage. Maybe they do at times that they sit out for hours upon hour upon hour trying to get that picture that they're not even quite sure. They've got an idea in their mind what they're looking to get but they'll not see it until they take it. And they have to be incredibly patient and patient and patient. And, well, that's what we need in our faith, in our Christian life, how many of us lack patience. Because we were, we are so impatient, because we can get most things now. We would love God to give us direction in life right now. We would love God to answer that prayer right now. We would love God to remember us and act right now. We need to be patient in our faith. We need to be patient and patient and patient. God always acts at the right time. Just as the disciples were really dejected and downhearted after Jesus' death and his apparent failure to keep his word, God raised Jesus to life. God does not look at time like we do. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
God doesn't look at the same time the same way we do. We might think God always leaves it to the last possible moment or he forgets. But in reality, God always moves at the right time. Christian, if you are tempted to give up your patience and hope in God, remember God's promises. And we ought to be patient. Trust God to give you patience through difficult times. God's people respond with patience. But we also ought to respond to God's mercy and grace with worship. With worship. And we see how Noah worships in verses 20 to 21. Noah, he could have went for a wander about to see this new world. They've been cooked up for long enough. They could have been longing to get away from each other, to have some alone time. Noah might have wanted to go for a walk or fishing perhaps. But he doesn't do anything like that. Now what is the first thing that you will do when Covid is all over? When you've been in lockdown seemingly for so long, what will be the first thing you do? Back to the gym, but not worshipping in church or on our knees in thankfulness. Back out for a coffee with family or friends or for a dinner out or a shopping spree with our brother or sister. We'll be doing that. Is that our first thing that we're going to do? Or is it going to be worship? Noah's first thought is upward towards God. First thing after exiting the ark after one year, worship. Noah builds an altar. And Noah's first act indicates and shows to us his faith, doesn't it? It shows us that he knows that God brought him through the flood. And as Noah builds these, uh, this altar and sacrifices on it, you'll remember that Noah was told to bring on two of every animal. But in chapter 7, verse 2, we have seven kinds of clean animal. Well, this is what they were for. You know, the very animals that Noah, uh, that God saved and Noah brought onto the ark, he was going to now kill and sacrifice to the Lord. Noah's responding to the Lord's saving mercy and grace and he worships. How challenging is that for us? When God remembers us because he never forgets us, how do we respond? No one in his family could have thought, I'm going to see the place uh, with the best view and that's going to be my plot. I want to have that view. Or... Maybe where's the best land where I can grow the best crops or feed the cattle whenever the things begin to multiply up. That's where I'm going to live. We say, don't we? Whenever I get through this, this situation, this COVID situation, this illness, this stress, this job, I'll, I'll what? I'll get on a nice holiday. I'll upgrade my car or I'll get a new phone or I'll buy me what I want rather than worship. God's people, how do they respond? They are patient in their faith, but they also look upward and worship the God who saved them. Finally, 
in these verses, verses 21 and 22, we see God's response. God's response. In verse 22, we get this sense that there's going to be seasons, an element of predictability. Uh, we all benefit from that in farming life, attempting to, to rest the soil, to harvest and, and so on. But well, how does God respond to Noah's worship, to this sacrifice? Well, we see that God smells a pleasing aroma. You know, it says it very clearly there for us. There is a, a, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And whenever God smells this pleasing aroma, what does God say? God says, never again. Never again will I curse the ground because of man. And then he goes on again. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Never again will the Lord wipe out the earth in this way. The sacrifice that Noah makes in response, God says, never again. And we get a foretaste here in Noah's sacrifice of what is to come. Because the, the permanent reality in our world is that God chooses grace. He chooses not to judge the world again, to totally annihilate it and destroy it because of the sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to him. We have a foretaste of a sacrifice that will end sin and end judgment and bring eternal salvation for all of God's people. The answer to the prayers and worship of Noah, God promises spraying the world from this judgment of water. Noah's sacrifice was a pleasing aroma. It was a foretaste of a greater sacrifice that would fully satisfy God's wrath. A perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. In Ephesians 5, Paul describes the the sacrifice of Christ as a fragrant offering it is Christ that true and final sacrifice that offers a pleasing aroma to God that never again will he have to deal with sin again because Christ has dealt it for us Christ is the only sacrifice that can fully satisfy God and that is why we need to trust him. Because although God will never again destroy all the inhabitants of earth, he is saving a people for himself. And are you one of his people? You see, even though the Lord has destroyed the earth, anything with breath in its nostrils is gone. There's still the same problem. Man's heart is still evil and we see that in the Lord's response there don't we never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil Noah's sacrifice ensured the Lord wouldn't wipe out everybody ever again but man's heart is still evil our human hearts they are black with sin they are tainted and polluted and sin it needs to be dealt with permanently and it's only dealt by Jesus our minds are infected with sin our out of our hearts becomes our evil desires 
like a, a dirty spring of water that's only bringing up dirty water and filthy water, infected water. That is our hearts. We only bring up infected, uh, dirty sin. We have evil inclinations. All we do is pollute it. We are not good. None of us are good. But we are evil. We are sinful. There is not one who has not sinned but Jesus. Our hearts are blackened. But we praise our Lord Jesus that he gives us a new heart by his spirit when we trust in him. Whenever we follow his rule and reign. God vows to preserve man through his son Jesus. Even though our hearts are sinful, our God offers up his very son for us. That we might have new hearts and new life in his new creation that we, he will build that will be perfect with no sin or suffering. See, Noah, he had a shelter in the ark from the wrath of God and we must shelter in Christ's heart. In Christ we find a newness of life and we follow him. But God remembered Noah. God remembers his people. Just as those Christian pilgrims stepped out of the Mayflower into a new world, it was still sinful. Tomorrow, we step into school or work or into our new makeshift office at home. And in many ways, the world is the exact same. Man is still sinful. Man will always be sinful. And we will always need the sacrifice of Jesus. But God has worked in us through his spirit by sending his son for us and because God has sent the son Jesus as that pleasing aroma as that sacrifice let us continue to look upward and respond with a, a patient faith always looking upwards and worshipping our Lord Music